Thank you for checking out the Faith City Church Podcast. We believe that you'll be blessed by today's message. So good to see you here this morning. If it's your first time here this morning, we welcome you. Thank you so much for coming out and participating with us. It's, it's so great to worship together. And maybe you're from um, you know, a different denomination or felt a little different. I know this. We all love the same Jesus. We all serve the same Jesus. We just have different flavors of how we do it. And uh, that's okay, you know. And maybe this is a place where you're looking for something of this flavor. Well, I encourage you to come out for the next three, four, five weeks because it really takes some time to get to know if this is the place that you want to be. But I will say this, that we're a place that really, on purpose, we exude the grace and love of God. I believe that true change transpires in people's lives when they experience the love of God. It's not through judgment. It's not through a guy pointing his finger at you and telling you how horrible you are. It's interesting, when we look all through the book of Acts, there's about 18 gospel messages preached. And that one time did the apostles point their finger at people and say, you're a dirty, filthy worm. Not once. They didn't threaten them with hell, fire, and brimstone. They told them about this awesome Jesus who welcomed everyone and said, do you want to participate in everlasting life? Now, sometimes we hear that idea of everlasting life, and we think, well, that means, you know, spending eternity with God. Well, I believe that we will spend eternity with God. I've not been on the other side. Have any of you here? Oh, no, because you're here this morning. I I believe that to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. But when it says eternal life, everlasting life, it actually means the highest level of living here. And sometimes we we miss that because we're looking for Jesus to come and take us away. But the scriptures actually say that Jesus will come and we will welcome him in to this place. Now, I know you've, you've read the Left Behind series and things like that, but I encourage you to study things a little deeper. Eschatology matters. Amen. Uh, What we see in the cross matters. But the bottom line is this, is that Jesus came to bring peace to this earth and goodwill toward all men. And so it's up to us to awaken to that, to see what it really means to follow Jesus. You know, for years, I, I, you know, I set up a sinner's prayer, we call it, came to an altar. I, I probably came to an altar dozens of times thinking I wasn't good enough and I better make sure it sticks right? You ever ever been there? Like you keep doing it over and over. But the fact of the matter is Jesus came to introduce us to this new life that we can have with him. And it's just this beautiful way that we get to celebrate life together with God. Can I get one amen this morning? And so that's what it's about. And I want to encourage you, if you're looking for a place that will love you where you are and allow the Holy Spirit to work on you individually, this is the place. We truly love people, no matter what your background is, no matter you know, what issues you deal with, we're here for you, to pray for you, to support you, to be there for you. So I encourage you, come back and check it out. Maybe this is the place that you'd like to connect. How many know it's Palm Sunday? Man, you know, when I was growing up as a kid, when I thought of Palm Sunday, I didn't realize that it was referring to the palm branches that were laid up before him. I actually thought, what does it have to do with their hands? I don't get this. But I'm going to do this one time this morning. Look at your palms. Hold them up. Now look at the person next to you and give them a high five. Oh, man, I'm bringing back. Oh, come on. See, palm to palm, baby. Palm Sunday, we can unite. We can connect. That's kind of an inside joke if you've been going here for any time because my dad, when he was pastoring, that was his thing. He said, come on, look at the person next to you and give them a high five. And man, by the 16th time, you're like, okay, pastor, okay. So I did that for dad. That's for you, dad. But today we celebrate Palm Sunday. I'm excited because this is the week before Resurrection Sunday. This is the week before we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ, which really in turn is the resurrection of us. It's us dying, being buried, and then raised with Christ to this new life, this new way of seeing life. But Palm Sunday was really a celebration of Christ's triumphant entry into Jerusalem just a week before his crucifixion and his resurrection. And this is really the final week of Christ's physical ministry on the earth. A ministry that he had for about three and a half years where he really impacted and touched many lives. People from all walks of life, those who were outcasts or rejected from the temple system to those who were actually part of the temple system, Pharisees who actually followed Jesus because they saw a different way 
to live life. What can we take away from this celebration, this idea of Jesus as he comes in to Jerusalem? What is it we can learn as we approach Resurrection Sunday? I want to talk today from this idea. If you want a title, it's this, A Tale of Two Processions. A Tale of Two Processions. Let's turn to Matthew chapter 21. Matthew chapter 21. And I just want to read through this just so all of us can be on the same page. Some of us probably know this story by heart, but it says, When they neared Jerusalem... Having arrived at Bethphage on Mount Olives, Jesus sent two disciples with these instructions. Now, here's the instructions. Go over to the village across from you. You'll find a donkey tethered there, her colt with her. Untie her and bring them to me. And if anyone asks what you're doing, say, the master needs them. Now, this is funny to me. Because Jesus is like, hey, yeah, go to that village. If you see that donkey, just untie it and grab it. And if anyone says, hey, what are you doing? Just say, the master needs it. I mean, does that take faith or what, to trust Jesus when he says this? Jesus, am I stealing the donkey or am I borrowing the donkey? I mean, I mean, these disciples, they didn't have it all together. They're trying to learn this and figure this stuff out, right? But he says, the master needs them. That's how you answer. And then look at, he will send them with you. In other words, if you say that, they'll go, okay, it's all good. The master needs them. Verse 4. This is the full story of what was sketched earlier by the prophet. Now, there's a prophet named Zechariah. And he actually prophesies a few hundred years before Christ comes about what would happen on this day. He says this, Tell Zion's daughter, Look, your king's on his way, poised and ready, mounted on a donkey, a colt, full of a pack animal. So this has been prophesied. Verse 6, The disciples went and did exactly what Jesus told them to do. They led the donkey and colt out, laid some of their clothes on them, and then Jesus mounted. So he's getting onto the back of this donkey. I want us to picture this. Nearly all the people in the crowd threw their garments down on the road, giving him a royal welcome. Others cut branches from the trees. By the way, these were palm trees. That's where we get Palm Sunday. I'm telling those of you who don't know that. Okay. So they cut down branches from the trees and threw them down as a welcome mat. So just imagine this. Jesus is coming in the city. They're taking their coats off. How many have ever done that? Taking your coat off and laid it out so someone could drive over it? Not me. But they lay their coats out. And then they put these palm branches down like a welcome mat. Crowds went ahead and crowds followed. All of them calling out. They're shouting this. Hosanna to David's son or son of David. How many know King David was? Blessed is he who comes in God's name. Hosanna in highest heaven. As he made his entrance into Jerusalem, the whole city was shaken, unnerved. People were asking, what's going on here? Who is this? The parade crowd answered, this is the prophet Jesus, the one from Nazareth in Galilee. Now, this is huge to me. As this whole triumphant entry is happening, it says that the city was shaken. People became unnerved. Why? Because they were giving Jesus a royal greeting, a royal entrance. This was only held for a king. Now, I don't know if you're aware of this, but at this time, Israel was under Roman occupation. And so... I think some people were freaking out, like, do you know what you're doing right now? You're making a spectacle of this man whom you call the Son of God, yet we are in occupation under a government of Rome whose Caesar is called the Son of God. What are you doing? I think people were freaking out, like, we're going to get in trouble. It says that they were shaken, they were unnerved. Now, if Jesus is the one to restore King David's throne, you hear what they're saying, right? Son of David. If that's what he was there to do, I think he chooses a rather strange mode of entry into the capital city. Think about the way that he enters. Instead of a horse and a chariot, he borrows a donkey. Now there's something being said here, and sometimes when we, when we read scripture, it's easy to kind of just glaze over, read over things, but we have to see the emphasis and the, the actual prophecy that was being fulfilled, but not just that, the fact that Jesus was riding in on a donkey. Of course, if there were any discerning eyes there, they might have seen this as a fulfillment to the royal prophecy. 
Again, Zechariah speaks of a king coming to Jerusalem. We just read it. Look, your king's on his way, poised and ready, mounted on a donkey. So some may have seen this, but maybe others missed this. But here's something else. There's also the direction of approach. The Mount of Olives, just to the east of the temple, is no ordinary hill. See, Jesus had said he was coming from the Mount of Olives. This is the east side of the temple. This is the entrance that Jesus made. The prophet Zechariah actually concludes in his prophecy with this grand vision of Israel's salvation coming from the same mountain with all sorts of earth-shaking events. And how many know that happened? I mean, in this next week in history, some earth-shaking events transpired. You know, we're calling this message today a tale of two processions because according to Marcus Borg and John Dominic Crossan in their book, The Last Week, they say, you might not know that Jesus's procession into Jerusalem was not the only procession the city saw that day. In the year 30 AD, Roman historians record that the governor of Judea, Pontius Pilate, how many remember him? He led a procession of Roman cavalry and centurions into the city of Jerusalem. So literally, on the same day, there's two processions that happen in the city. Now imagine the spectacle of this, of this entry of Pontius Pilate. By the way, he came from the western side of the city. Now I don't know if this transpired at the exact same time, but wouldn't that be crazy that Jesus is coming in on a donkey from the east and Pontius Pilate is coming in on a horse and chariot? from the West. Not only that, imagine this, this huge amount of soldiers that were in leather armor with their swords at their side. Some of them would have a spear in their hand. If they were an archer, they would have a bow and a quiver full of arrows. And it was this great spectacle. They had, how many remember the, the Roman centurions and the soldiers? They had those great helmets that would, they were beaten out you know, metal, and they would gleam in the sun. It was like this, this awesome spectacle of might and power. And here's Jesus on a donkey. The city was unnerved. They're wondering, uh, what are we doing here? Uh, Pontius Pilate's like on the other side of the city right now with all his fierce warriors marching in, and you're giving this kingly reception to a man on a donkey. It really changes your perspective, doesn't it? Some people would say, Jesus, he's the one. He's our Messiah. He's our warrior king who's going to rescue us. Yet on the other side, you have Pontius coming in. You got drummers who are beating out the cadence of the march. This was no ordinary entry into Jerusalem. You got to think about this. Pilate, as the governor of the region, he knew that it was standard practice for the Roman governor of a foreign territory to be in its capital for religious celebrations. Do you know that this was the beginning of the Passover? And so you have the Passover starting. Why did Pilate feel that he should come in that day? Because it was his obligation. As they started this ceremony to be there to make sure everything stayed cool. And so when he came in, his presence wasn't one of peace. It was one of might and power. And I will smite thee. If you get out of hand, are you following this? Because think about the Passover. The Passover was a celebration of Israel's liberation and exodus out of Egypt. And here they are under Roman occupation. In fact, there were a lot of insurgency going on. There were people rising up. There were squabbles. There were people trying to overthrow the government. This was happening a lot. In fact, when Jesus was just a, a little boy in history, there was an uprising. And at that time, do you know that the Romans, they squelched it. You know what they did? They crucified over 2,000 people in Galilee. In other words, don't mess with Rome. Don't mess with the beast. But we have Pilate coming in to oversee. I mean, the Romans had made their intolerance for rebellion well known. And so on this occasion, Pilate comes into the city, far away from his preferred headquarters at Caesarea by the sea. He had a really nice place by the sea, but now he has to come to this place, this stuffy capital with these filthy Jews. Why? To make sure there was no insurrection 
to make sure that you saw the might that we have. But look at Jesus comes from the east on a donkey. Pontius Pilate comes from the west with horses and chariots and soldiers. And so we have two processions this day. I think it helps shift our mind to see the difference in what Jesus brought. And the sad thing is, even as these coatless multitudes waved the palm branches and shouted for joy, guess what? They missed the true reason for Jesus being here. They couldn't see it, nor could they understand what was truly going on. I believe that they were looking for the pilot Jesus to enter the city, that warrior king who would overthrow Rome, take his rightful place back on the throne of David, and they could become a nation again. See, we, we don't even, we can't even fathom what they went through. For generations, the occupation, the slavery, the things they went through, they were looking for freedom and they thought this is the freedom through the Messiah, this is Jesus. But guess what? He didn't measure up to their expectations. In fact, in the Gospel of Luke, verse 19, as this is happening, verse 41, look at the response of Jesus. When he approached Jerusalem, he saw the city and he wept over it, saying, if you had known in this day, even you, the things which make for peace... See, Jesus called the Prince of Peace, isn't he? He doesn't come in on a warrior horse like many kings to prove their might and their authority. He came in on a donkey to represent peace and humility. He's such a different king, isn't he? He says, for the days will come when your enemies will throw a barricade against you and surround you and hem you in on every side and they will level you to the ground and your children within you. And they will not leave in you one stone upon another because you did not recognize the time of your visitation. What's Jesus referring to? He's referring to the fall of Jerusalem in 70 AD. See, Jesus came in as a demonstration of peace, as a demonstration of what the kingdom of God looks like so people would say, wow, this is a different way to live other than the world system. But they didn't get it. And they continued to try to poke the bear of Rome till eventually they rose up. Rome did, not God, Rome did. And they completely wiped out everyone in the city, destroyed everything. The temple, there was nothing. It looked barren. Josephus describes his time and he says that literally there were bodies stacked upon one another that blood flowed through the streets like water. I mean, this was, it was horrific what happened, but Jesus was weeping because he saw you're not getting the proper way to live. I've been here for three and a half years giving you the example of what it looks like to live a life of peace and unity, even with those who occupy you. What may have happened to the hearts of the Romans? Let's put it in today's day and age. What might happen to the hearts of others who say, I don't believe in God if we were to show who God truly is through love and grace and peace? But the church has become really good at holding up picket signs and trolling social media as if God has called them to be the social media police. It sickens me. It grieves me. Because I, I know the intentions of people. The intentions are good most of the time. They want to see people live according to kingdom life. But guess what? You don't force it on people. It doesn't work that way. Love forced is not love at all. You know, God doesn't force himself on us. He presents relationship. Reconciliation, that means brought into favor. He says, it's there. I've done it. It's finished. There's nothing you can do. There's not a prayer you can pray to make it happen. It's already happened. But if you believe, then you can walk in it. We only walk in, we only participate in what we believe. Does that make sense? And so Jesus lays this out, this way of peace. That's what the kingdom is. So what's really going on here? Why is Jesus weeping? I mean, he just got this royal welcome. I can only imagine the feeling 
of occupation by another political system, to be under the heavy hand of another people. You're talking heavy taxation. They were facing starvation. You know the miracle when Jesus fed the 5,000? You know he wasn't feeding them just because they were you know, on a long journey and just kind of hungry? You know the people at this time literally were dying from starvation? They were taxed so heavy and had so little, they barely had enough to eat. So think about if you were someone in that crowd who had no food and you're still traveling to hear this Jesus, there was something about Jesus, there was something about his message and on top of that he says, let's feed him. You know, that's another thing that Rome would do when they would come into a city. They, Rome basically, when they would take a city over, they would send this, this apostle, you heard that word before? An apostle ahead and they would notify everybody, hey guys, listen, you got two options here. Number one, you can try to resist us and you'll die. Okay, what's option number two? You can go along with us, you can pay your taxes and be good and you can live. Do you know another thing they would do? They would bring bread with them and they would give bread out to people. What did Jesus do? He gave bread to people. I said it earlier, but the Caesar was referred to as the son of God. What do they call Jesus? The son of God. There's another king. I mean, this was playing with fire here. But I want us to see that, that Jesus was trying to show them that this, this is a different kingdom, but it's different. Why? Because I come in from the east on a donkey representing peace. Pilate comes in from the west, horses and chariots and soldiers. Two different kingdoms. Are you seeing this? So here's these people, no future for their family, and Jesus comes in, and I think they, they were let down. They, they, Jesus didn't meet their expectations because they're like, we just want freedom, and I get that. But he was saying there's freedom of a different nature that you don't even see yet, you don't even know about, and it's living a life of peace. So let's dig in for just a little bit here. Why a donkey? Why did Jesus ride in a donkey? Well, kings would enter cities either on horses or donkeys. If a king came in on a horse, he was basically saying, listen, I'm an authority and I come in peace with violence, which is kind of a paradox, right? But see, this was a completely different kingdom where Jesus came on a donkey. If a king would come in on a donkey, the people would go, he comes in peace. Remember, remember when you were little and you'd watch those alien you know, freaky alien things like on Creature Feature or whatever movie shows, and, and, and they would always say, I come in peace. And they're like, good thing, right? So, you know, it was like, Jesus, I come in peace. They're like, okay, it's good. But then you have Pontius Pilate on the other side. It's more like Independence Day. Like, do you come in peace? We came to kill you. Like, you know, th there, there's no option here. So there's, there's such a difference here between Pontius Pilate, who represented Rome, and Jesus, who represented the kingdom of God. I come in peace. And then the people, they were yelling these words. They were saying, Hosanna. And we say, like, Hosanna, Hosanna. And we're like, oh, that's a cool word, you know, for worship. No, it actually means save now. Rescue us. They were crying out for help. They're like, Jesus, we need help rescue us, save us from this Rome, from this occupation, from starvation, from heavy taxation, from just being the underdog all the time. We're tired of it. We desire freedom. And the thing is, many people thought when Jesus entered into Jerusalem that he would come as a warrior king, a warrior Messiah, that he would defeat Rome and he would reign as king. In reality, he was a king, but his kingdom was not of this world. It was so different than the world's system of anger, hatred, violence, war, and retribution. The kingdom of God is so different. Listen, his strategy was not to change politics. Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. He wasn't, he wasn't like, you know what? Uh, I'm going to run for president and I'm going to be part of this party. It wasn't about politics. He says, I'm a king from a different kingdom. Some of us need to, I think, awaken to that here and now in this, this atmosphere that we have in politics right now. 
especially in America. And I see Christians going, brothers and sisters in Christ going back and forth because, well, you're a Democrat. Well, you're a Republican. Well, you're independent. It's like, who cares? Listen, vote however you want to vote. I don't tell people how to vote, but I'm telling you something. It's not so much about this political system. It's about the kingdom of God. We need to look into the kingdom. Are we operating according to the kingdom in peace, love, grace? Are we bringing joy to those around us? Are we so caught up in, you know, Trump and Obama? Listen, love who you want to love, but I'm telling you what. Jesus didn't vote. I just want you to know that. And God is not Democrat and he's not Republican. I say this often. He's independent, but he's very independent. Independent of our systems, right? Do you follow me? It's his own kingdom. And he's saying, listen, as sons and daughters of my kingdom, will you choose to walk according to my ways? Will you choose to walk out love and grace and peace to those around you, even if they voted for someone different? And some people can't get past that. They just can't. I think it's time that we do. But we were people who had lost our identity. We lost the blueprint for our lives. We were sons and daughters of God, yet we went about as orphans. We thought ourselves to be depraved and enemies of God. But Jesus came to show us the love and friendship that God has always had toward us. It never changed from the creation story, the the Hebrew poem in Genesis. It never changed. He created for the sheer joy of creating, and he put love into us as the pinnacle of creation. And he said, I want and desire a relationship with you. But we turned from him, thinking that he didn't have our best interest in mind. But he never, ever left us. To the point where he eventually came to earth, the incarnation, God in flesh, to live among us and show us. Jesus showed us the heart of the Father. That's something we talk about a lot around here. But you have to see that, I believe, in order to live correctly. And I don't mean like God saying, you better live correctly. No, to live out of true identity, you have to understand this loving relationship that the Father has for us. Jesus didn't show up on this planet to change God's mind about us. He came here to change our minds about God. See, so many times you hear messages thinking that Jesus somehow was was trying to appease God and make him okay with us and say, listen, listen, God, I've been hanging out with these peeps for some time now, and, you know, they're not so bad. That wasn't what Jesus came to do. He came to say, listen, you see yourself as separated and depraved, but God has never gone anywhere. He's right here, and I'm here to show you the heart of the Father. So will you believe what I'm saying? Jesus said often, repent and believe. Repent is the Greek word mentanoia, and it means to change your mind. Jesus was literally saying, change your mind and believe. Because you can't believe what I'm saying until you change your mind. Does that make sense? Sometimes we make this so hard, but it's simple. Jesus came to show us, listen, change your mind about God, change your mind about yourself, and it will change everything. How you walk, you talk, you treat others, you treat yourself. It's beautiful. So Palm Sunday is a reminder that we needed someone to give us a new way of seeing God, a new way of seeing ourselves, a new way of being human. When Jesus rode into Jerusalem, This day that we celebrate, he came in with great applause, with great cheer. They were taking their coats off. They were putting on the palm branches because this is the arrival of a king. They knew Jesus could do the miraculous. They saw that in his life. Uh, Yet what they missed is that Jesus' very entry into Jerusalem was not set up as a political ring or to expel the Roman rule. It was to promote justice and peace to Israel. To show Israel the proper way to see God and to see others. But they missed it. Because a week later, they're not screaming Hosanna. They're screaming crucify him. Crucify him. You didn't meet our expectations, Jesus. We gave you a royal welcome. And we're looking for you to kick some royal 
but, and you didn't. You didn't dispel Rome. You came in peace. What does that even mean? Crucify him, crucify him. What happened in the span of those few days? I believe that they just became disappointed. And now look at this, Jesus. We thought you were the Messiah, and they're killing you. Not even seeing that Jesus, by allowing us, do you know the scriptures say, by the way, just so you know, God didn't kill Jesus. How do I know that? Because Paul tells us that God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself. I said this a couple weeks ago, but it's important that we don't just see the nail scars in the hands of this man called Jesus. We need to see those nail scars in the hands of God. Because he was there, he never left Jesus, he allowed this to happen. Why? There's this, this great quote in the scriptures that says, no greater love does a man have than this to lay his life down for another. And the cross represents love. Prophets and the apostles say what we did to Jesus was not just. It wasn't just, it wasn't right. But God allowed us to do this because he wanted to demonstrate what true love looks like. Saying, I want you to see this so bad that I will let you kill me so you can see it in me. That's huge to me. But next week we talk about the resurrection. The resurrection, I believe, was the vindication of Jesus. Saying, how you're living is wrong. Jesus came in from the east, from the Mount of Olives, on a donkey, representing peace. That's the kingdom of God. He says, I'm not like Pilate in Rome who came in the same day from the west of the temple on horses and chariots and soldiers. Two different kingdoms, two different ways to live. But I get it, they were tired. They were so ready for freedom, but they felt disappointed. They felt let down. But it's interesting when we see the life of Jesus, the apostle John tells us in 1 John Chapter 4, verse 9, he says, this is how God showed his love for us. Now, I love this statement. I mean, because he's, he's, just, he's just laying it out there for us. He's saying, listen, if you want to know how God showed his love for you, this is how. God sent his only son into the world so we might live through him. Some might go, well, wait a minute, that's how he showed love? He sent his son so we might live through him? Well, a better understanding of that word through in the Greek, it's the word dia, and it means by means of or with the help of. In fact, we could further define means as an action or system by which a result is brought about. In other words, this is how God showed his love for us. God sent his only son into the world so we might live by the means of or with the help of Jesus. You know, we talked about it earlier today, but we're no longer under an old covenant system where God was stuck in a temple. Which, by the way, you know he was never stuck. He chose to be there. And I believe for many years his presence wasn't there anymore. You know, when Jesus, when he passed away finally on the cross, it says that the sky had blackened. But what happened in the temple? It says that the veil was rent in two. Now we're talking about a veil, and I should have done a little homework on this, but we're talking a really thick. Bruce, how thick was the veil? Six inches thick of fabric. I don't, think, I don't even think Hulk Hogan or The Rock could tear that. And it was rent from top to bottom, not bottom to top. But behind that veil was where the presence of God was supposed to be. Behind that veil, only the high priest could go. And hopefully he was good enough, according to the law, so he wouldn't die on the other side of the veil. But the veil was rent in two. What was God saying? He was saying, there's no separation. You now are the temple of my Holy Spirit. But guess what? You won't live that out unless you believe it. And there's people all around this world who don't walk it out because they don't believe it. And I'm even including people who sit their butts in pews and chairs on a Sunday morning. They don't know who they are in Christ. They don't realize that the creator of the universe has taken up residence in their heart. And he's saying, will you let me out? Will you let me live 
through you and you through me. It's this life of unity. God showed his love for us by uniting us to himself. This is beautiful. And he says, God sent his only son into the world so we might live by or with the help of an action or system by which a result is brought about. I believe that the heavenly father is looking for results. He's not looking for people to just show up on a Sunday morning and put a little money in the offering and sing a few songs and then go back to life as it always was. He's looking for results. That means other sons and daughters who are lost, who are living like orphans. He's saying, will you awaken them to who they are? You see how the message changes now? It changes from, okay, I've got six verses to show you of how filthy and bad you are. And then when we're done there, if you pray a prayer, then you can go to heaven. I'm not making fun of that. But it's so much more than that. We make salvation something that is one day in the sweet by and by when we die. And Jesus wants heaven brought to earth through you and through me. Here and now. Say, bring it. it. Yeah, right? Bring heaven to earth now. I believe that I will spend eternity with my father. But what about now? What about this process of we living through him and him living through us where a result is brought about? Where you say, listen, there's a father who loves you. You just didn't know it. What? Seriously? I thought God was angry at me. No. He loves you. But listen, we only walk in what we believe. That's why belief is, is so important. There has to be belief. How many, how many know this? Everyone believes something. If someone says, oh, I'm not a believer. Well, you are. You believe something. I mean, if you don't believe anything, you're just sitting in a corner in a dark room somewhere and doing nothing. We all believe many, many, many things, and we believe many wrong things about God and ourselves. And I think it's high time that the church start to present the proper face of God. Because the people I come in contact with, when they say they're an atheist or they can't stand God, I say, can you describe the God you're speaking of? And when they do, I'm like, wow, I'm an atheist to that God as well. And he's like, atheist? I thought you were a pastor. (laughs) What I'm saying is I don't believe that God. That's not the God that Jesus showed us. And everything has to go through that lens of Jesus. He came to show us the heart of the Father. We learned last week that Christ was the exact representation of God. If you want to know what God's like, look to Jesus. It's huge. Humanity has believed the lie that you can't trust God that God doesn't really love you, that he's holding out on you. But the truth is, he isn't holding out on you. He dearly loves you, you just don't know it yet. And I think it's important to understand that today, here, even now in this time, Jesus rules and reigns, but he's not ruling and reigning on a physical throne somewhere in Jerusalem. He rules and he reigns in the hearts and minds of those who believe this to be true. Have you ever thought of that? It's not that, that you're the temple, just the temple of the Holy Spirit, but you literally, we could picture it as, you are the throne room. Amen. What? God lives in you and then he exudes from you. But some of us don't see it and so we almost cover that up and people don't see the love. They don't see the light. That's what John calls God, love and light. They don't see it. And so I think it's time for us to unveil our hearts to see more of who he is and who we are and that this is a life where we live in unity. He lives through us, we live through him, and we show people the kingdom. What did John say? God sent his only son in the world so we might live through him. Now we have seen that many people in the days when Jesus walked the earth realized that he was something different, someone different. He was remarkably different. All the signs and the wonders and the miracles he did, which all represent, by the way, restoration and healing. That's kingdom life. But they did not understand his person nor his mission. And I believe it's no different today. Many do not understand his person or his mission. I want us to hear this today. Jesus didn't come to change our behavior. 
He didn't come to help us live the Ten Commandments. He didn't come to help us change our political parties and so on and so forth. Listen, Jesus is so far above all this. You say, well, shouldn't my behavior change? Isn't what I do important? Absolutely it is, but he came to give us life. He came to give us the means or be the means by which we live a new life. What comes from this new life are behavior changes and the fruit of the Spirit. Sometimes we put the cart before the horse because we think, okay, I'm going to try to do good enough. I'm going to try to measure up. I'm going to try to just prove that I'm a son of God. And the whole time is Jesus saying, would you just let me live my life through you? Will you learn to live your life through me? Will you, will you allow me to show you who you truly are as a son and daughter of me? And guess what? The behavior stuff will work itself out. You know, there's things in my life where I tried and I tried, you know, whether it was an addiction in my life or saying the wrong thing or whatever it could be, I would try over and over to be better and do better. I would just try harder because somehow I would read the scriptures and was thinking that Jesus was saying, if you try hard enough, do it long enough, then you'll be okay. But Jesus never said that. It wasn't until I started to realize, okay, God loves me just as I am. Okay. He loves me too much to keep me there. How many have kids that when they do wrong actions and it hurts them, you kick them out of the family? Anyone? No one? Okay, okay. Well, why would God do, do the same thing, right? I mean, why would he do that? But what we do in discipline is it's, it shouldn't be punishment for our past. It should be training for our future. So that's why God works with us. He says, listen, I, I know where you are right now. I can, I can see your whole life. But man, if you could just see what I see, it's so glorious. If you would just believe what I believe. Think about this. God's saying, if you would just believe about yourself what I believe about you, things would change. Too many times we just don't believe it. We just don't see it. God, you just don't know how I am. <laughs> That's kind of funny, right? Yes, he does. But he sees this, this glorious place that you can be if you would just believe what he believes about you. If you would believe the story that he's telling you about you. But again, most of us, we just don't see it. And so we stay stuck in those ways and we think we're just filthy and rotten and we can't measure up. And we think somehow that God's presence leaves, it comes, it goes, depending on how we are that day. But Jesus made a promise to never leave us nor abandon us, to never, ever forsake us. So either God's telling the truth or he's telling a lie. So when you feel in those moments like God has gone somewhere, you need to realize, no, I'm just feeling estrangement right now. Estrangement is just when you don't feel part of a family. You don't feel part of a group. But that's something we feel. It's estrangement. But God's saying, I've never gone anywhere. I'm right here. And all it takes is faith and belief. Because sometimes in my own life, I'm like, why would God even want to have a relationship with me right now? But the answer to that is his answer, not mine. What does he say? He says, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. Yes, you don't like yourself right now where you are, but that's not who you truly are anyway. So wake into who you are and you will see the actions change. I'm telling you, my own life and my experience, that is how things have come about to change in my life. It's not trying harder because I'm pretty good. I've got pretty good willpower unless it comes to fried foods and sweets. I've got pretty good willpower and I can maybe willpower some stuff for a week, a month, six months, maybe a year. I'm like doing pretty good. But it's interesting how pride comes before a fall. It wasn't until I had come to this place where I realized it's not about me performing for God. It's about me having a relationship with God. And as he shows me who I am, it gets to a place where you look back at even a few months and go, I haven't said that or done that for like three months. But you weren't even trying. You were just awakening to who you truly were. And you start to see those things as, wow, I don't want to participate in that because that's not who I am. I'm not built for that. It's the beauty of the gospel. I'm telling you right now. Stop trying to impress God. Right? He, he's not looking for you to impress him. He's saying, let's just have a relationship because you already impressed me because I know who you truly are. It's awesome. In other words, Jesus came to change our minds. Repent 
and believe. Jesus is saying, will you repent? Will you change your mind of your status and take me as your new status? Because Jesus came to give us new life. The question really comes down to this. Will we choose to trust God or to trust the old way of thinking, seeing, and doing? Now, the Apostle Paul tells us in Romans chapter 14, it's our final scripture this morning, in verse 17, it says, for God's kingdom is not a matter of eating and drinking. Now, when you first read this, you're like, okay, why is he saying this? Well, in this time, uh, when, when, when Paul wrote this, people were having real big issues on what people were eating and drinking. Some people were still trying to adhere to some of the Old Testament laws with eating and drinking. And others were like, yeah, it doesn't matter. You had Jews and Gentiles intermixing now because guess what? The kingdom of God includes everyone. Isn't that cool? And so they were having these issues. And, and Paul, I just love the way he dealt with this because he didn't say, okay, you know, that's it. Uh, you, can't eat, you can't eat pork anymore. Boo, right? Like I couldn't have bacon anymore. He didn't say you can't have pork anymore and you can or you can't. He said, guys, listen, whatever we do, let's not offend each other. I mean, think of, think of what he's saying. What, whatever we do in relationship together, let's just try to not offend each other. Now, I know sometimes in this day and age, people get offended very, very easy. And we don't want to have to, we must feel like I got to be someone else. And, and listen, you're going to offend people at times. There's some people that you're never going to do anything right. I get that. But what Paul was saying is don't do anything on purpose because you have freedom when someone else doesn't. Right? I mean, if there's people around here, it's like, you know what? I don't have an issue with drinking a beer. That's cool. Have a beer. But if you have someone else who gets offended by that, maybe don't have it around them. I just think that's showing love. Does that make sense? We don't have to try to prove to people, I have total freedom, I can do this and that. Well, maybe they don't. Maybe they struggle with alcohol. So, so there, there's reasons to do things. So Paul's saying this, the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of the righteousness, peace, and joy which the Holy Spirit gives. And I love verse 18. And when people serve Christ in this way, they please God and they're approved by others. I love this verse because man's approval, I do think there's some importance to it. Not for our identity, but when you are walking in love, listen, I don't know of anyone who, oh, I disapprove of that walking in love stuff, unless they're super duper religious. I don't know. Sometimes the world's just looking for the love. You say you serve this God who is love, but I don't see it. And we think sometimes that accepting people means that we're condoning everything they do. No, but accept people where they are. Jesus did. Jesus hung out with hookers and drunks and tax collectors. They're right in that group, right? <laughs> but to understand that, I mean, at that time, tax collectors were, were Jews who would be hired by Rome to collect taxes for Rome. And so they were looked down upon. And many of them, like Zacchaeus, for instance, would take a little extra for themselves. Rome would say, this is how much we want. Whatever else you can get from them, that's yours. And so here's Zacchaeus living this lavish life with maybe just a few friends. Probably he was a chief tax collector, so probably his tax collector buddies. But Jesus spends one meal with him and all of a sudden he changes. And he says, you know what? I'm giving money back. I'm giving more back than I stole. And half of what I own, I'm giving to the poor. What? Literal change by sitting with one meal with Jesus. And Jesus says this, get this. Salvation has come to this house today. Oh, so when he dies, he's going to heaven? <laughs> no. Deliverance has come to this house Preservation, safety, healing, wholeness has come to this house today. Why? Because now Zacchaeus is starting to walk out kingdom life. And that's what we're to do. This is huge. The kingdom of God is righteousness. That's right relationship. It's peace and it's joy. If ever you're wondering if you're operating in kingdom mode, are you in right relationship? Are you living a life of peace and joy? And by the way, that joy comes from the spirit. So this might sound like an odd question to ask on Palm Sunday or any Sunday for that matter, but, but here's the question. What type of procession will we walk in this life? See, Jesus came from the east 
on a donkey with humility, with peace, with love. And then the world system represented by Pilate comes in from the West on horses and in chariots and with an army. A world built on hatred, anger, and retribution. So what type of procession will you live with your life? Will we walk as Pilate in pride or in judgment and arrogance towards others? Will we choose the path of anger, retribution, and violence? Because I don't care if you attach the word Christian to your name. What are you walking? Right? Are we walking Christ-like? Or will we walk as Jesus in humility, extending grace and acceptance toward others? Will we choose the path of right relationship, peace, and joy? Happy Palm Sunday. Let me see those palms. Look at the person next to you. Give them a high five. Come on now. You know, one thing that, um, and we're wrapping up, but one thing that I really see in the life of Jesus is he was touchable. He was reachable. He didn't have an entourage that surrounded him and and he would say, you know, protect me. Uh, He wouldn't come into a town, you know, at his latest venue and say, where's the green room? Because I need some time away. I mean, you know, even when, when Jesus, when his cousin John the Baptist was beheaded and he was in grief, he went to find a place for peace and the grief. I mean, imagine your cousin being beheaded and Jesus tried to get away, but it says that the people were just these throngs of people were coming to me. They, oh my gosh, what Jesus has, I need. I need healing. I need deliverance. I need safety. I need salvation and what did Jesus do he laid down his own personal grieving to minister to people that's huge and so Jesus was touchable and I think there's something in that you know when we shake hands we give hugs we high five there's something about touch Uh, humans live and thrive on love and touch You know, science has even proven that a baby who doesn't get touch could become sick and even die. They need touch. And I think that's why this local body's here. It's for us to be close and develop relationship and be the shoulder to cry and be the words of affirmation, encouragement, and instruction to each other. That's why we're here together. That's why we do this thing we call church, but how many know we're the church? So where we go, the church goes. But I love meeting together, not just on Sundays, but throughout the week in different groups to develop relationship, to help each other like Jesus helped those around him. And let me tell you something, Jesus lives and resides on the inside of you. You've got the kingdom of heaven on the inside of you. So three words, let it out. Happy Palm Sunday. For more information about Faith City Church, please go to faithcity.tv. As always, we pray that you would grow in the knowledge and grace of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ.